Welcome to Mountain State of Mind, a podcast of the Charleston Gazette Mail in Charleston, West Virginia. I'm your host, Douglas Brogno, and we're joined today by our classical music reviewer, David Williams. We're talking with maestro Grant Cooper, the conductor of the West Virginia Symphony Orchestra, who has announced his retirement after 15 years with the symphony. We talk about the art of conducting, both with and without a baton. If somebody were to put it to you, what does a conductor do? Most people who are generalists, who are not musicians, think that a conductor beats time. And then if they have a little bit of musical background, they would say, okay, that means that he or she sets the tempo. Um, they probably see other gestures where they, they see, okay, he's or she's addressing balance, or encouraging certain things, or, or discouraging certain other things happening. In a very general kind of way, if one is watching a Leonard Bernstein conduct or something, then one is seeing what Stravinsky would call a performance of a performance, where the, the, the physical gestures seem to be almost as if the conductor's dancing to the music. I played for Bernstein. I have tremendous respect for the integrity of his music making. Do I look like Bernstein? I used to try to in order to get what one needed out of an orchestra. I hope I share this feature with Bernstein, that is total commitment to the music. That no matter what one's gestures are, one has to show complete commitment to the music. So the answer to your question, Doug, is that it's important to realize that most of what's important about making music is not written down. Even though we have a notation system that is remarkably effective when approached in a musical way, it only tells part of the story. And we can, as composers, we can try to write something down. I remember I, I had this, the, the opening of my Boys in the Wood piece. It was just so obvious that that was the kind of the, the live dancing and what a wonderful day I could sing for joy read writing with things you know so I write this write this down but I don't put any articulation on it because it's just so obvious so my score when I first tried to play this piece with a professional orchestra looked like a piece say by Bach looks there's no articulation there are very few dynamics and yet we know that Bach's music is not absent dynamics and absent articulation he invites us to create the music from the shapes that, that he puts on the page. And, of course, he was dealing at a time when the only music that people played was music of Bach and his contemporaries. Everyone knew the style. It would be like a Dixieland band sitting down and saying, OK, let's do this New Orleans style. Let's do the Chicago style. So just take that kind of model back to, to a Bach, and you see why they didn't have to write everything down any more than the fiddlers write anything down. Right? It's all oral. The tune is the way it sounds. So even as we play, say, Gustav Mahler, who's one of the most over-notated composers, he not only tells us what to do, but he tells us what not to do, because he knows the tradition, and he knows what people are likely to do just by virtue of habit. And so he warns against that, you know, and he puts a mark on every single note, almost, a long, a short, a medium long. And to a certain degree, you can be a conductor, and you can point out, look, that's supposed to be longer there than here, because this one has a longer mark on it than this one does. And one says, oh, yeah, wow, we'll do that, you know. Or... As a conductor, what does the conductor do? One can get into the idea that in order to play a given composer's music, one has to understand something of the aesthetic of that composer's art. And the aesthetic, in my experience, almost always has a direct connection to that composer's time that they were living, country they were living in, languages that they spoke, and, and, but particularly their native language. And so if one is trying to conduct a Brahms symphony and one has never heard anything by Brahms other than the fourth symphony, and that's the one you're conducting, then you're not going to 
get very far. There's a little thought experiment that I often play with conducting students. I say, you could imagine, let's say Simon Rattle, who's a famous conductor of the Berlin Philharmonic currently. Let's, let's suppose that a Mozart symphony, a mature Mozart symphony, had been discovered, lost, all these hundreds of years. As it turned out, you, as a conducting student, were going to be given the chance to give the world premiere performance of this piece. And you were given the music a year in advance. You learned it. You could write the score out from memory. You knew it so well. Meanwhile, Simon Rattle was going to be given the score the next day and would do the first rehearsal just having looked at the score for a few hours. Who would do the better rehearsal as a conductor? And this gets to the question of what does a conductor do? Well, I, I don't think there's any question. Simon Rattle would do a better rehearsal because he's a better conductor, because he knows more. He knows more about Mozart and, and Mozart's world than a young conductor, even though the young conductor knows the score perfectly. Where does a conductor go off the rails? Because you have ego, there's a theatricality of it all. Has there ever come a moment where you like woke up on stage and you, you realized that you were just caught up in a head trip? Um, no more so than if you were at the helm of a 747. Someone asked me this question in a different way um, down in Bluefield about 10 years ago. Have you ever wept during a performance? And I think I may have had a colleague who preceded me that had talked to the same reporter about weeping when they were particularly moved. And I said, no, because there is too much at stake. Weeping, showing one's own emotions, is not the same thing as creating an environment where people have a shared understanding of an emotion. They are feeling like weeping themselves. What's the choice with conducting with your hands as opposed to a baton? Well, it's a lot easier with a baton to be a, a lot clearer and knife-edged, whereas you can deliberately dissolve the edges with, with your fingers or, or just sort of internalize stuff and take the beat away entirely. When you've got a stick, it's, it's, it's sort of there. But, I mean, you, you can do much larger things with a stick. I like the stick a lot. Some people don't. Yeah, the hands just give you a different set of tools to suggest a sound. Stokowski used to conduct in white gloves because he felt that then those aspects of his gestures would be magnified. This is probably not a fair question, but three performances that really stick out that, that you thought the orchestra yeah. really, you know, kind of... The three favorites. I, 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 I kind of have spent a lifetime avoiding this kind of question. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 and, and because my usual response to uh, who is your favorite composer, what is your favorite piece, mm -hmm. is the piece or the composer I'm conducting at the moment. And Easy out. It's not, except it's true, because no. you, have, you have to be so totally convinced of this language right now. You, you can't be conducting Berlioz and wishing it was Stravinsky and hope to be successful. You have to revel in the language of the, of the composer and, and marvel at his or her ability to conjure in your imagination any, any number of responses and, and hopefully translate to the audience as well. Um, so when you ask me for a favorite... It's not a fair question because it's like asking who's your favorite daughter, who's your mm. favorite son, who's your favorite parent. It depends, doesn't it, <laughs> on the day and, uh, and everything else, if you're willing to say I have a favorite one. But there have been moments that have really, really stuck out for me. Probably the biggest one would be the Mahler 6 that we did a year or so ago. And shortly before that, the Bruckner 8, but for different reasons. The Mahler 6 we played in Fairmont and then a double. And what stuck out to me about that was that we played so consistently all three nights, which is not common for WBSO. We just simply don't play together enough to have that level of consistency. So Mahler 6 stood out because I felt that we achieved the full measure of that piece, and we did it without distraction of there being performance foibles. Now, the Bruckner 8 wasn't like that. The Bruckner 8 we played, I think, four times, and it got better and better and better. 
the soloist that you've worked with over the years. Yeah. Um, things that you found particularly engaging or, you know, that you felt the interplay back and forth between them and the orchestra was something really special or how you achieved that. that I don't want to say the favorite thing, but yeah. I want to say something about, you know, the kind of the intellectual connections or the emotional connection between how they were interpreting music and how the orchestra was interpreting the music and, and your role as the mediator in between. Yeah. Anyone that really sticks out? With pianists, I would say probably the one that sticks out the most for me would be John Nakamatsu as being a, person, a collaborator who makes it easy. Cellos, because she invented the term, Julie Alvarez, she said this in a pre-concert talk, my goal is to come to an orchestra and make the conductor look good. In other words, there are people who, who throw things in your, in your way. They perform differently in the performances than they did in, in rehearsal. Well, we've taken a lot of your time. Is there anything else that you'd like to say? No, except that I do want to believe that the symphony orchestra does and will continue to play a role in modern life. And the key to it, I think, is that at some point we have to find a way to value considered opinions and to bring forward and show adulation towards people who think and consider and are aware of so many things that are, so, that are going wrong in the world today are issues that we've dealt with in music. The, the whole issue of cultural uniqueness and understanding a piece of French music as a statement of French culture and, and it's worthy of being appreciated for its own worth. If one changes the metaphor in slightly and, and goes to France to have French food and then puts ketchup all over it, you know, you're, you're not having an authentic experience. We see so, so often that people who don't speak a language where they can communicate can sit down with each other and play music and feel like they have total communication at least on the level that, and the only level that matters. Check out the Mountain State of Mind blog at wvgazettemail.com, the website of the Charleston Gazette Mail, for a link to a companion article and interview with Maestro Cooper about growing up in New Zealand, his international career as a stellar trumpet player, and how he made it up onto the conductor's podium. And thanks for listening. (laughs) 